Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Expertise Podcast. I'm your guest host, Ricky Martin, filling in for my brother for this episode, and I hope today's conversation will expand your knowledge. People say our voices sound similar, so if you close your eyes, you might not even be able to tell that it's not your usual host. Anyway, a while ago, Roland told me that if I ever had someone in mind to interview uh, for the podcast, and if I wanted to guest host it, he said that I could, and I finally took him up on that offer, and I reached out to a friend of mine, Christopher Mullet, who is now a doctor in his third year of residency at a place called CentraCare in St. Cloud, Minnesota. It had been quite a while since I had talked to Christopher, and it was a great opportunity to catch up with him for a while. I was fascinated by his story and the experiences that he shared, and I learned a little more about what life is like for a doctor. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it and learning from his expertise. Welcome, Christopher, to the Everyday Expertise podcast. It's really great to have you on the show. Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, this conversation. And yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to, to kind of catch up with you as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a while since we've uh, seen each other or even talked, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to catch up with you as well. Yeah. So um, I'm, this, is, this is my uh, first opportunity as a guest host, and I think I'd probably get fired right away if I didn't start out with the question, what keeps you busy currently? <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of things that keep me busy. Obviously, um, my work keeps me busy, but one of the things at home is my wife and my family. So my wife and I have been married um, going on four years here in a little less than a month. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And on top of that, we have an 18-month-old um, by the name of Piper, and she's a busy little girl. Mm-hmm. And then we're expecting um, our second here in a little less than two months. So um, when I'm home from work, that that's part of what keeps me busy. But um, certainly my job as a, as a physician still, still in my last year of residency training keeps me pretty busy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit of the time I have on for some on the side for some hobbies, but that pretty much kind of wraps up my time. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned hobbies. What what are some of your hobbies that you do in your spare time? Well, so I don't have as many winter hobbies as as um, probably summer hobbies as we're kind of nearing kind of winter now. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly in the summer, my wife and I have started playing a lot of pickleball. Um, which is a new sport that we were introduced to about a year and a half or two years ago. And um, if you haven't heard about it, it's, it's one of the fastest growing sports in, in, the, in America. Um, it's played on like a miniature tennis court um, yeah, with I a actually, paddle and basically a wiffle ball. I have, I have heard of it. I've seen people playing. I've never played it myself, but I really enjoy playing tennis. And I've noticed um, like over the past few years a lot of the public tennis courts around here have pickleball lines painted as well. So yeah, that's really yeah, interesting. It, it, it's actually really addicting. And so even if we can't get enough friends to play, it's supposed to be played, for, you know, four people, two, two on two usually, but sometimes okay. we'll go and just play by ourselves, you know, which is a little more challenging, but 
it's a lot of fun. So a lot of summer evenings we do that. Uh, we play some disc golf. Um, we we do a little bit of boating and a little bit of fishing. And then we play board games, you know, in the evenings um, and try to get out and do some live theater every now and then. But that's a little bit harder with kids. So. Mm-hmm. What what's your uh, what's your favorite board game or, or kind of your go to? So <laughs> we kind of go in phases, but probably the historical one is is Carcassonne. Okay. Um, yeah. And we play some pretty intense two on two or one on one Carcassonne between my wife and I. Mm-hmm. But certainly when we have an extended family over, we have a big match between everybody with bragging rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been playing Splendor more, most recently too. It's a little bit easier to play, you know, with two people. So, but that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like, um, yeah, a lot of fun activities. So tell me a little bit, um, about what your, what your work is like currently. Yeah. So, so I'm a physician. Um, I'm in family practice um, so when I graduated medical school, you have to, um, pick, pick which kind of residence you're going to go into. So I applied to family practice and was accepted here in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um, so I'm in my third year, third and final year of training. And so, um, when I graduate, um, they'll kick me out to be on my own. Um, but basically, um, as you kind of accelerate through the program, um, each year you're given more responsibility. Um, and um, a lot of work in, in clinic, in the hospital, but you also rotate through all the specialties. Um, so I, re- I just got off a rotation, um, what we call a rural, rural rotation. So basically you get to go to like a rural community and work and do basically whatever the family practice doctors there do for a month. Um, so that was a really okay. good experience. Um, so a lot of clinic, a lot of hospital work delivering babies. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't do didn't do real, a lot of work in the emergency room, that sort of thing, but a lot of clinics, seeing patients there. You know, you see them independently, and then things are just verified by, you know, the doctor that you're working under. Mm-hmm. So maybe you'll get in. Maybe we'll, we'll get into this a little more later. But you mentioned that you you have to pick um, a category or whatever and you picked family um what did you call it family practice family practice yeah so what are what are some of the other options or or what yeah what is family practice yeah so family practice or primary care so historically that's been that's been the doctor um that really did everything so in the last 50 years we have a lot more specialists now um than we used to but family practice is kind of your your doctor that you would go to, you know, as a kid, um, that your parents probably would have taken you to and family practice sees anybody really newborns, um, all the way up to, you know, what we would call geriatric or, you know, kind of the elderly population, um, you know, family practice in certain areas, um, do deliver babies, um, and of course, we're not necessarily the specialists. So as far as, you know, other specialties, there's, you know, all the surgical specialties, um, you know, urology, um, you know, skin specialists, dermatologists, um, kind of a host of other specialties that you can go into. But we're kind of the gatekeepers of primary care and kind of preventative medicine. Um, so by far the most common type of doctor, but we also kind of are the gatekeepers for referrals to 
to the specialist. We kind of screen people for who needs to see who, if -hmm. it's something that we can't manage ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, um, Googled you prior to this interview and I found your profile (laughs) on, um, Centra care. Right. Um, so that's, that's like the organization that you're, you're employed or doing your residency with. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm actually an employee of Centric Care and that's the, that's the big hospital here in St. Cloud. They own a number of other hospitals here in Minnesota. Um, it's, it's, I think it's totally a Minnesota, uh, kind of company at this point, but yeah, they're mm-hmm. the ones that, that I'm hired through. So. Very good. So, but yeah, as, as far as like, what you do on a daily basis right now, that's, that's kind of changing a lot. Like sometimes you're going around to clinics, sometimes you're in a hospital. Yeah. So it really changes a lot. Basically um, it depends which rotation you're on, but, but kind of in general um, what, what the, what it practices like is whatever, you know, mostly five days a week, four to five days a week, um, you go to clinic in the morning, you've got your office, um, you know, you've got your list of patients that you'll be seeing that day. And then depending if you do, if you deliver babies or not, um, you'll be on call. And of course, if you have your own pregnant patients that'll come in to deliver, you would see them in the hospital as well and be on call overnight, you know, if they were going to deliver and so you'd come in overnight too. And thankfully, generally you have partners that'll, that'll take call with you. So you don't have to be up every night of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally that's kind of how it works. And occasionally, um, especially in the more rural settings um, that I'm planning on working in, you would probably see patients in the hospital too. So you'd come in before clinic, round on your patients in the hospital that are admitted, um, kind of do their orders, go to clinic, see your patients and probably stop by the hospital afterwards and kind of just check in on them and see how they're doing until they're ready to go home. Mm-hmm. Very good. So you like part of your, your thing right now or what you do is, um, deliver babies. That's part of it. That is part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. no, it's definitely, it's a fun, exhilarating part of medicine. Um, you know, 98% of the time it's enjoyable then the one to 2% it's a little bit of terror. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely exhilarating. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, very good. Any, anything else you wanted to share about, um, I guess what, what work is like for you right now? I, I think that pretty much sums it up when I'm, when I'm, when I have extra time, um, I do pick up extra shifts, so I, I pick up some extra shifts in the urgent care here in town. Um, and then I do, we call it moonlighting, so any work that you do outside of your scheduled work, we call moonlighting. And then I work, so I pick up an occasional shift in the emergency room in a little town called Sack Center, which is about 45 minutes west of here. Um, so you're the, really the only doc in the hospital overnight, um, okay. and you take care of whatever walks through the doors. Um, which is a really good experience. Um, you know, it can be terrifying at the same time, but it's, you know, it's kind of fun to be, be out on your own and, and kind of take care of just whatever walks through. Yeah, that, that does sound like it would be terrifying at times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, good. Um, so yeah, I thought we could maybe talk a little bit about, um, your, your story, I guess, in terms of, 
um, becoming a doctor and how, how you got to your third year of residency. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll start by asking when, when did you decide that, uh, you wanted to become a doctor? Like, was it something that you always knew when you were a kid or was there, was there a certain point in time when you decided that? Yeah. So no one in my family is at all medical. Um, and, um, in fact, they kind of cringe at the thought of seeing blood, most of them. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure where it came from, but I really want to be a doctor since I was, I was, I don't know, probably about six or seven. Okay. Um, I'm not totally sure what, what kind of stimulated that. Um, and so that was kind of always the goal is to be a doctor. But the, the funny thing is that I really didn't like school. Um, I wasn't bad at school. I wouldn't say I was great at it. I was homeschooled. So that was kind of part of it. I didn't like being home necessarily, but, um, I really didn't like high school and I actually, I probably didn't try very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but my parents, um, kind of semi forced me to go to college at least for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, and it's kind of at that point that I decided, you know, I could actually do this if I wanted to. Um, and so that kind of put me down the road of more school. Um, and so that kind of brought me to here. So it is a lot of school, um, you know, four years of college, which I graduated from Bemidji state, which is about three hours North of where I'm at currently. Um, and then I purposely took off a year between college and medical school. Um, but then the first year that I applied, I actually didn't get in. Um, it's a pretty competitive um, field with a lot of interviews um, to get in there. So took me my second application process to get admitted. So I actually went to Liberty University, which is um, uh, at, at the time is a brand new medical school in Lynchburg, Virginia. Okay. Um, and I ended up out there because I had one friend who t- told me about the school that had just opened up. And he said, I applied there. You should apply there too. Um, Cause I'd never even heard of the place before. Um, so I ended up applying, getting in, um, and I'd already interviewed at, I don't know, four or five other schools. And at that point, um, I didn't really didn't have any more money to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, I'm already admitted here. I like the school. I like the people that I met there. So I'm just going to end up staying there. So I did. So in 2000, um, summer of 2015, I ended up moving out to Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, and mm-hmm. I did four years of school out there, okay. um, two in the, first two years is in the classroom. Um, and then your third year and your fourth year are clinical rotation. So my third year, I spent most of the time in a little town called South Boston, Virginia, which is about an hour south of where the school was. And then my fourth year, um, I spent most of the time traveling kind of across the United States, going from, from different residency programs and rotating with them for about a month at a time. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, um, a little bit about what the application process is like. Like you said, there's an interview. Um, can you summarize a little bit like what, what's all involved in applying for med school and getting in? Yeah, so I kind of, sorry, I kind of missed, went over that part. Um, one of the biggest things to applying is taking your, your MCAS, the uh, Medical College Entrance Exam. I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but the MCAT's kind of the, um, kind of the test that, and that score really determines how competitive you are in med, you know, in applications for medical school. Um, so the grading system has completely changed. Um, 
but the test is about six hours long and it's kind of notoriously hard. Um, so I took it, I actually ended up taking it several times because the first year I didn't get it in, I had to take it again to try to improve my score. It's not really like a pass fail, but the better you do, the more likely chance you have of getting in. So okay. after I, after the first year I took it, didn't do as well as I wanted to. So the next year, actually during the summer, I took off work. Um, I think it was for about 12 weeks. I essentially locked myself in my patient in my parents' um, basement and I would get up at six o'clock and I'd study from six until noon, take a lunch break, um, go back down, study until supper time, and then eat supper, then go back and study for about an hour more and then take a little bit off in the evening. I did that for about about 10 to 12 weeks. Wow. And then retook the exam. And I did a lot better, but um, it's a it was a big time commitment, you know, obviously, that, into doing that. It wasn't very fun. That sounds very intense. <laughs> but, but it's something that I really wanted to do. Um, and so I feel like looking back now, it's worth it. Um, mm-hmm. But it was hard. Yeah, but yeah, that was just a component of your MCAT score of getting in. So so that um, test, um, you said it takes six hours. It was a, a written test. So like, was, was it a lot of um, like answering questions like what you do in this situation or was it making sure you understand, you know, science and anatomy and chemistry and all that, or like what, what kind of, or yeah, everything. So I understand, <laughs> right. A little bit of everything. Yeah. So I understand the test has actually changed when I took okay. it. There was three sections. Um, one was called verbal reasoning. which had absolutely nothing to do with medicine or science at all. Um, it was really just testing your ability to read an article and understand what the author was was trying to get at. So some of the questions are actually pretty vague, and it's more your ability to reason, um, read quickly, and then make and make a decision based on what you've read. Um, mm-hmm. The other sections um, were I can't remember what exactly what they were, but they were more, definitely more science based. Um, a lot of physics questions in there, which I still don't understand how that really relates to medicine. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of science type questions kind of in there too. Okay. But, yeah. Um, so, so you I understand, did, I think that, sorry, I think the ahead. test has gotten a little bit longer <laughs> oh. <laughs> even than when I took it, which yeah, is a bummer. Six hours wasn't long enough. So you improved your score on that test. And so that's, that just helps you get a better chance of getting an interview or, or how does that work? Yeah, so I, when I took the test, the, the score was out of 45 um, total, so 15 points per section. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a competitive score for getting in was maybe about, about 28 to 30, kind of something like that. And if you score above 30, you're probably getting into like 95th and up percentile of kind of, you know, scoring percentiles across the nation. Mm-hmm. So when I actually took it the first time, I actually did, I did quite poorly. Um, but then the second time I ended up, I think, I can't remember what I got, maybe a 29, but I improved my score by quite vastly, Okay, you yeah. know, and it's just, yeah, it's a combination of your score and your, you know, your GPA in college and, and kind of the extracurricular activities that you've done. Okay. Yeah. And then when, so once you get an interview, um, Who's that with and what's, what's that like? Yes, yeah, so I had actually a really varied, varied experience um, 
um, kind of interviewing. So I, I still remember this, um, and I'll probably never forget this. I interview, interviewed at a school in Des Moines, Iowa, medical school. And one of the very first questions that they asked me is, what's the last book that you've read? Um, <laughs> and, you know, and you kind of think about that and you're like, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Um, but a lot of, I think, what medical school interviews were looking for is what kind of person are you? And are you more a kind of a well-rounded individual than just, you know, kind of in the scholarly aspect? Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I, I did not have a good answer to that question. I, I'm pretty sure, looking back, that I was flustered. <laughs> um, yeah. And I didn't end up getting in there. Okay. Um, there, there was a couple other schools I interviewed at that they did um, – many, I forget what they call it exactly, but as many rapid interviews. So basically they'd have like eight rooms set up and you would go room to room for five minutes at a time. And they'd have one question on the door and you could think about the question for about 30 seconds. You had to walk into the door, talk to that person for 30 seconds, or I mean about five minutes and then move down to the next room. Um, And I think it was all kind of a way to, you know, try to see a little bit past your just your GPA and your MCAT score and see kind of what kind of person you you are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're looking for people who have, you know, kind of more to it than just want the, maybe more than just want the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of look at your character as well. Yeah. So in, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, it sounds a lot more like intense or whatever, but in some ways it is kind of like a job interview this this interview yeah yeah in some ways um Mm -hmm. yeah i think the way every school handled this is is a little bit different um some of them i had very much felt like job interviews and then some of them um just had questions that you really didn't know where they were coming from Um, i think they were just trying to see what you would answer how you handle things under stress kind of that sort of thing yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, so when, or I, I noticed on your, or when I Googled you on your profile that it says Christopher Mullet D.O., uh, which right. from what I understand stands for doctor of osteopathic medicine. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and so I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about what that is and like the difference between MD because I've, I've heard MD that stands for medical doctor, medical doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was wondering if you could explain what the difference is and, um, like if, did you have a choice between the two or is there a reason you went, um, one way and not the other or, or yeah. 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 So everybody knows MD, um, because they're, they're still by far the most common doctor, at least in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. DOs make up about, um, it's actually increasing, but probably about 15 to 20% of all physicians in the United States right now. Okay. And so DO schools and MD schools are different. Um, and, and they have their own separate classes. Um, MDs are actually what we would call allopathic physicians versus mm-hmm. a DO is what we call osteopathic physician. 
Um, so osteopathic, um, not, not bone related. That's a common kind of misconception. Um, osteopathic meaning kind of holistic, um, care. Um, so the, the osteopathic profession was actually started by a guy, um, called A.T. Still, who was actually an MD. I mean, he lived back in like civil war times, um, who, started to look at medicine and then realized that a lot of the medicine practices that they were doing were actually hurting um, their patients. So in his case, his wife and I think all of his children actually died. Um, and I don't remember exactly what from, but looking back, I mean, really what he was saying was probably true because they were doing like bloodletting with leeches you know, and stuff that we would say now is like crazy, mm-hmm. um, you know, but they were maybe doing the best that they could with what they knew. Um, but anyway, this AT still guy, um, he's like, something's wrong here. I don't, you know, people aren't getting better. It seems like we're actually hurting people. Um, and so he's kind of called the father of osteopathic medicine. So he broke away from the typical like MD schools or allopathic schools and said, I'm going to start a new way of medicine. Um, and so he formed actually the first, um, technically DO school in Missouri. I see. So that's kind of how that came to be. So DOs have been around since actually it's going on about 150 years now. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, didn't realize Um, it was that long ago. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people just don't, you've probably seen a DO physician in the past, but you just didn't realize it. So the first two years of medical school are essentially the same between DOs and MDs, except for one component. Um, And that's that DOs have an extra class thrown in called osteopathic manipulative medicine. Um, So a colleague, along with with Dr. A.T. Still, spent a lot of time looking kind of at the musculoskeletal system. And they essentially hypothesized that the structure of the body, the bones, the muscles would affect the function. And so they spent a lot of time looking at kind of how things are connected. Um, and so OMM or osteopathic manipulative medicine is really kind of um, therapy that DOs actually put hands on the patient um, and do a little bit. This isn't technically correct, but it's a little bit of a cross between like chiropractic and physical therapy. Okay. Um, and are kind of able to, you know, essentially able to kind of assess the the structure and then then the function, you know, kind of of a person's body at the same time. Yeah. So. So does some of your some of the work you do like involve um, like something similar to what a chiropractor would do? Like yeah, do you get sometimes to crack so necks that... and, and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so the, so yes, so so partially true. Yeah. So I was actually at a. Um, an OMM conference um, through the University of Minnesota down in the Twin Cities um, this past Tuesday. Um, and so basically all the residents and some of the um, f- attending physicians um, who are DOs, we get together um, and we kind of review techniques, um, kind of go over stuff. Um, but yeah, um, personally, could I crack a neck? Yeah, I could. Um, I, I generally choose not to. Um, we use a lot of different techniques, um, to kind of manipulate, um, muscles and structures 
um, kind of to where we think that the function will be improved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just just with the recording here, it's it's not going to be as helpful for me to try to explain as it would be to show you. So I'm a little bit limited right. um, and yeah. kind of show you show you what I do. But yeah, not all DOs do OMM. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of research that has gone into it. There is some, um, you know, so as, as far as being evidence or, you know, evidence-based medicine, um, you know, there's some evidence, but not as much evidence as there's for some other things. Hmm. Would you, would you say that there's, um, somewhat of like, uh, I don't know if stigma is right the the right word, but like that people think of DOs as not on the same level as MDs. Is is there any of that? Um, would you say or or not really? Oh no, there definitely is. Okay. Um, I th- I think it's getting better, and there's there's um, one thing that happened in the last two years that has actually improved that. Um, so once we're done with medical school, MDs and DOs could they've always had the opportunity to go to the same residency programs. So no matter what specialty you would go into, you could still go to the same residency and do the same training as, as your MD colleagues, Okay, you know, or, or vice versa. However, there used to be separate residencies for DOs and MDs. So there are certain residencies that MDs could not go into because there are only DO residencies. However, in the last two years, that's changed, and they've all completely merged into the same thing. So there's no longer a correlation between DO residencies and MD residencies. So your after training um, in residency training after medical school is probably more important than your medical school training. Mm-hmm. And so MDs and DOs do the exact same training. Okay. We take the same board exams, um, same certification exams. Um, and so essentially the training is the same. Um, and so I think the stigma is becoming less and less, but generally people are a little fearful of things that they haven't heard about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a lot where the stigma comes from. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so the, the school, like the school you went to was a DO school, um, and medical, some medical schools are DO schools and some are MD schools. Um, right. but, but now residencies are like they're they're a mix um or one, they're one and the same now yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah so i i chose to go to it i chose to go to a do school i think especially for primary care family practice it's it's helpful um because i feel like i have an extra kind of tool in my pocket per se to help some folks so for instance like chronic back pain super super common right mm-hmm. um tension type headaches neck pain really common. Um, and, and I have great respect, respect for my MD colleagues. Um, but, but they just don't have the training to put their hands on the patient's neck, their back and, and physically do something there in the office for it. Mm -hmm. We can all prescribe the same medicines, obviously. Um, so I feel like I have, you know, an extra kind of tool in my pocket to kind of help the folks that walk through the door. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, that kind of leads me a little bit into my next question. And that is about the, your area of, um, expertise or your specialty being family care. Um, was there certain points, was that something you decided like 
right from the beginning or was there a certain point where you kind of had to get more specific with what uh, direction you were going? Yeah. So I went to medical school. I actually think I was going to become a general surgeon. Okay. Um, and so that was really what it was totally geared at. Um, so in your, in the third year of residency, you have set clinical rotations and at least I didn't really have a choice over those. Um, and so you rotate through every specialty, you rotate through, you know, family medicine, um, internal medicine, um, you rotate with the OBGYN doctors, um, you know, all those things. And so you get a taste kind of of what everything's like and you get to work with those folks. Um, kind of by the time you're in your third year, you really have to choose what you're going to apply to because you generally interview um, kind of the fall of your fourth year. And so as soon as fourth year rolled around, I scheduled a whole bunch of surgical rotations to do. And so while I enjoyed the, the OR time and being in the operating room, um, I realized partially through the help of help of my wife that I really didn't, um, I guess, enjoy the life, the lifestyle of that general general surgery is notoriously um, kind of a hard lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Most of those rotations, I worked well over 100 hours a week um, wow. while I was there. And so I, you know, really didn't get to see any family, um, you know, you're sleep deprived <laughs> um, chronically. And, mm-hmm. and then you get to hang out with the residents who, who are in residency and surgery and you kind of get to see, are they happy? Are they not happy? You know, do they enjoy what they're doing? Do they not? Um, so I actually interviewed for general residency and family practice, but when I came down to it, um, I just dropped, um, general surgery cause I realized this lifestyle just really isn't for me. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, went into family practice instead. So, um, you know, obviously it's a, it's a totally different, um, kind of type of care. Um, and I still feel like I work. I work plenty, but I'm not, I'm not averaging over a hundred hours a week anymore, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds quite intense. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure if that answers your question of kind of a, of how I ended up there. Um, I guess part of it too is, is kind of my first mentors in, um, in medicine, the people that I shadowed were family practice doctors. Okay. Um, and so I saw them deliver babies, you know, do office procedures, um, kind of that sort of stuff. And I enjoyed it. I, I liked what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, they were happy. They had fun. They had good relationships with their patients. Um, and it's, you know, it's fun to see the same people back. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's fun to establish relationships with the people that you treat and actually be able to be able to get to know them a little bit and their kids. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. And no, yeah, that, that was, um, a good answer. And I, I guess I didn't realize that you, um, you got to do a little bit of everything, or I guess everyone, everyone kind of gets to do a, a little bit of everyone does. Yeah. 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 So I guess I thought it was more like you, you know, at some point, you, you know, like I'm, I'm going into general surgery or whatever. And then you, you kind of just, just do that. But I guess that makes sense yeah, that I, you, you decide later. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a good idea though, because, you know, physicians really get training from all specialties because so, we rotate with all of them, yeah. at least all the major specialties. And so you get to, especially as a primary care doctor who sends referrals to other specialties, specialties, you see, 
um, you know, kind of what they do firsthand and you get to learn from mm-hmm. them yeah. kind of in your training, which is, which is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess we, we talked a little bit about what, uh, what your job looks like right now, what you do on a daily basis as, um, yeah, I guess in family practice was, was there anything more that you had to, or that you wanted to add to just like what, I guess, what a typical day looks like for you? Um, maybe I should just go a little bit into kind of what, what I do when I'm in the office a little bit. Um, you know, so, so typical patient complaints when they come in, so people just can come in for just general physicals. Um, and so, you know, kind of bread and butter family practice things would be making sure, you know, your blood pressure is controlled, um, your cholesterol is good. Um, you know, make sure your weight is kind of within a, within a normal healthy range, um, you're up to date on kind of your cancer screenings. Um, so there's a lot of recommendations from like the USPSTF, the CDC, um, you know, family practice has their own guidelines kind of as a national um, foundation. Um, and so those are all things that we follow. Um, there's a lot of good evidence behind, you know, kind of general screenings. Um, for folks to make sure that we, if we can pick up a cancer early, that we get those people screened in time um, and actually prevent things. So a lot of my job is preventing things for for folks. Um, and that, that's kind of half of it. And then the other half is kind of treating chronic conditions that people have like, like diabetes or, or high blood pressure, you know, or, you know, just a host of other things besides just treating kind of acute um, like urinary tract infections or skin infections or, you know, back pain or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a part of, um, your work that you would say is your favorite, your favorite uh, aspect of, of being a doctor? Yeah. So, so actually, um, one of the favorite things right now is, is actually delivering babies. So, um, I, I've kind of done a little bit more, more work in some rotations into kind of obstetrical care. Um, and I'm actually applying to an OB fellowship now, which would just give me a little bit kind of a broader um, kind of scope into that. So it'd be an extra year of training after residency here. Um, okay. Still don't know whether I'm going to do that or not because I haven't, I'm st- still waiting to hear back from some people. Um, but that's definitely one of the fun things. And then um, some of the office procedures that we do. Um, and maybe that goes back to a little bit. Some of the surgery things is where, you know, you get to take out cysts or, you know, um, you know, cut people open essentially, Mm -hmm. um, is, is some of the fun things. And so it's always enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there, is there anything that's your least favorite? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's always least, least favorite things. Um, the, the, the charting part of medicine gets tedious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably overall everybody's least favorite things. We, we see, um, as far as treating things, we see a lot of mental health problems in our population too. And so, um, you know, it's an absolute necessity that we treat it. And so, um, I just don't find it quite as satisfying and enjoyable to treat that. Although I think it's, it's probably more important than treating some of the other things too, but sometimes the reward, um, for treating mental health stuff isn't quite as, 
as rewarding as maybe some of the other more physical, physical things. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What would you say is, um, the most difficult part so far of being a doctor? Um, (laughs) there's, there's a lot of difficult things. I I think one of the, the hardest things is, um, learning to be, to be humble because someone can walk through the, the office door and they can have any complaint, um, you know, under the sun and you may or may not know exactly what to do. And it is so easy to get humbled in medicine. Um, mm. if, if you're proud, it's not going to last very long because I guarantee someone will walk through the door with something that you probably never heard of, or you have no idea how to treat or don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's hard because, you know, family practice, anybody can walk through. And so you have to know a little bit about every single thing, um, regardless of whether you're an expert on it or not. And so it's trying to, to learn kind of on the job and kind of keep up to date on the new things that are happening, you know, is kind of an ongoing. So there's often nights that I'll come home, you know, even after working 80 hours a week and I'll still sit down and read for an hour about something that I didn't know about. I see. Yeah. Yeah, so I was actually going to ask, um, like, how you keep up with the the latest research, and you know, I guess make decisions on what treatments and technologies to use and stuff. Like, is it online or books or, or yeah, what kind of stuff uh, for that? Yeah, so there's uh, there's definitely online resources that we use the most, just because it's easily accessible and it's the most up to date. Because by the time you get a book now. Um, a textbook, it's already three to five years outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and medicine changes so fast. And I think the last year and a half has really showed us that too, that medicine is more fluid than it is kind of static. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things do change fast. So online resources are the biggest one um, that we all use. Talking to colleagues, um, talking to your partner, you know, in your own cubicle or just down the hall. Um, you know, is, is a good way. Um, I've been, been able to go to a conference, um, where they just kind of review with specialists, kind of some of the up-to-date guidelines for things. Um, and you get to talk to other folks and just kind of see what they're doing. And so that's very helpful, but being outdated is, is a real thing. And so, you know, you really want to try to stay up to date, you know, on things, Mm -hmm. you know, which can be a struggle for anybody. So, yeah, along, along with that, that idea of like so much, um, information being online, um, is, has it become more of, more of a thing too, where like patients come in having already Googled, um, you know, their symptoms and so they have an idea of what they think it is. (laughs) And like, is is there kind of a, a lot of that that goes on? Yes. Yeah, there certainly is. And there's some good and bad to that. Um, you know, I, I definitely can see there there's some good, but I, I, I can't tell you how many patients I, I've had that said, I Googled this and now I know that I have cancer. Um, and, and you look at them and you hear their symptoms and they're like, this most definitely is not cancer. It's not even anything serious, but I know here's what we need to do about it. Um, you know, so there's a reason um, that there's not a Google doctor. Um and I think there really is an art to medicine and kind of teasing out kind of what's going on with the patient. I mean, folks come in and they don't try to tell you lies. 
um, sometimes they just don't know what to say. And so that's part of being a physician is knowing what questions to ask and kind of helping them right, right. kind of know what's wrong. Because sometimes the symptoms will lead you astray and you kind of have to ask more specific questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I there was a, a, a previous um, episode of this podcast. Um, my brother Rollin talked to an optometrist and he talked a little a little bit about something similar about uh, a young patient who really wanted glasses. So they, Mm -hmm. they were kind of trying to fail the eye exam in order to get glasses. So he had to kind of really, (laughs) uh, you know, ask the right questions or kind of, um, yeah, yeah, it really works. So, so it might kind of be a little bit similar in in some situations. Um, just, yeah. And I don't know, Maybe maybe artificial intelligence will catch up sometime to the point where where they do some of our job, but right now, um, I don't think it's even close. Mm-hmm. So, is there is there anything um, or like you mentioned, somebody walking in with something you've never seen before? Is, is there any like really um, you know fascinating or interesting cases that you'd be able to to share that? Uh, um, that have happened to you since you, you've been a doctor? Yeah. So there was actually a, a patient that I just got to see a couple of days ago, um, a little newborn, um, first, first little girl to a family. Um, and one of the things we always do on the newborn exam, and maybe, maybe the optometrist would have probably heard about this too, but something we always check is the red eye reflex on the eyes. Um, it has to do with the lens kind of that's implanted in there. Um, and at first, at birth, it was there, and then kind of on the recheck back in the office, it actually went away, which is really, really kind of a concerning thing. Hmm. Um, and so we actually sent that kiddo to see ophthalmology, and, and the little kiddo ended up having just as a newborn congenital cataracts. Um, and if that wouldn't have been caught, it would have actually caused permanent blindness. Um, but so she ended oh. up having surgery at about a month old um, in both eyes and is now wearing... Um, um, kind of contact lenses, um, even at, even at like two year, two months old, um, and can see again is for, for the first time now is actually tracking to, to your voice before she would just kind of blankly look around. Um, you know, and so for the first time she's, her brain is relearning to see, um, but she's looking around and, um, starting to kind of track towards her voice, which is really cool. Wow. Yeah. And I I guess that's why you do, I guess that's why you do all those tests. (laughs) And that's that's one of the things I had never seen before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess I can't think of anything else right off right now. But um, in the past, there's been some patients that I've sent down to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester um, with with things that I just couldn't figure out, um, and they go down there just for a lot of testing and that sort of thing too. Um, so you involve the specialist when you need to, mm-hmm. yeah, because. There's definitely some obscure and rare, rare things that you probably will only see once or twice in your life. Yeah. So is, um, another question I was going to ask is like, yeah, what you do when you, when you just don't know what's going on. Um, so you, you refer them to a a specialist. Is that generally what happens? Potentially. So, so I, we don't like to refer to a specialty unless we know what, unless we know what we want them to do, mm, yeah, um, generally with a patient. 
Um, often it depends what it is. So if we don't think it's life threatening, often we'll just see the patient back, and sometimes time will tell us what's going on with the patient. Something some problems don't have to be figured out kind of same day sort of thing, right? Um, and give us some time to work on them. Um, but if we can't figure it out with time, um, often the number of times that we call call someone up and just say, hey. You know, here's this patient. Here's what they have. What do you think? What else do you think we need to look for? Um, there's a lot of collaboration in medicine. Even even I can call up a specialist and just say, hey, what do you think? Um, and that happens a lot. And then if they say, um, check this or check that. And then if you, you know, nothing comes up, I'll be happy to see them. I'm kind of that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned that you are in your uh, final year of, of residency? Right. That's correct. So when when are you officially done that? Yeah, so I'll graduate. Technically, it's a graduation, so in June. Okay. Um, yeah, and completing a residency program makes you eligible to sit for your um, board exams for for being certified in family medicine. Mm -hmm. So I have an unrestricted medical license now, which means that I could go practice on my own currently. Um, but it, but generally, people choose to do a residency program so they can be board certified in their own specialty, which is kind of an endorsement by the organization that says you're a comp you're a competent physician within your own specialty. Okay. Um, so there's been a few doctors um, more recently in the news who've said some pretty controversial things, especially related to COVID, who, if you actually look them up, are not board certified, um, which mm -hmm. I think is kind of interesting because they've never actually got kind of that stamp of approval um, kind of from their organization um, that they've actually comp either completed a residency or they're, they you know maybe are not uh, quite as qualified as you might think they are. Hmm. I see. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you have any, um, I guess, like goals like related to your profession kind of for after residency or, or um, next steps or, or plan for what you see yourself doing in the future? Yeah, so like I said earlier, I'm hoping to get into a one-year fellowship program, which would just be another year of training and kind of more high-risk obstetrics. Um but then after that, yeah, I'm hoping I haven't I haven't signed a contract anywhere yet, but hoping to sign somewhere that would allow me to do kind of more rural family medicine. Mm -hmm. So see patients in the clinic, deliver babies, um, probably do some emergency room work as well as some inpatient work, kind of seeing patients in the hospital as well. Um, so that's kind of kind of goals for now. Um, mm -hmm. That'll probably, you know, at least that for a number of years. And hopefully down the road, uh, my wife and I would like to do medical missions hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, was, was there anything else, I guess, about your, your work currently as a doctor, um, that you wanted to add? Um, maybe. So there's, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of talk, I guess, about um, you know how things should be treated, and I, maybe this kind of goes back to some of the Google 
um, type things like people Googling their symptoms and kind of what should I, what should I do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's a lot of value in establishing a relationship with a, with a doctor who knows you and is kind of able to see you over a period of time. Um, kind of the reason for that is like I talked about earlier, some of the, some of the problems that folks have don't necessarily need to be figured out in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can kind of take a little bit of time um, to kind of figure out. But I think establishing kind of care with somebody who knows you and then when they see you back will know if something's different um, and kind of track progress can be very helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and just kind of making sure all those kind of preventative health measures are kind of checked off and making sure you're kind of as healthy as you can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also had some kind of general questions that I wrote down that I've always wanted to ask a doctor. Is it okay if I ask some of them? Sure. (laughs) So um, the first one is how do you deal with stress? You mentioned like, um, you know, working in an ER or whatever can be stressful or certain times when delivering a baby. It seems to me like, yeah, doctors just have to deal with a lot of stress. So how, how do you deal with it? Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this question um, for a while because um, I, I've se- maybe it's easier easier to specify how, how it's bad to deal with stress um, because I feel like I see a lot of that. Um, I guess specifically how I deal with stress is I find something completely outside of medicine um, that usually doesn't require a lot of thought. Um, so it's usually more physical generally. Um, and so I have other hobbies and, and things that I do kind of in that regard, just mm-hmm. to take my mind off of thinking. Cause, um, you know, the, the physical job of, of doing medicine, you know, isn't that hard. You can walk in and sit in a patient room, but it's really, you're exercising your brain, right. you know, and it's the, the, it's the mind component that that's hard. Um, so I think really taking some time off of, of thinking, um, and getting yourself, mm-hmm. you know, keeping yourself physically in shape, um, kind of helps, helps a little bit with that too. Honestly, I, I feel like I probably haven't done the best job of dealing with stress. Sometimes I come home after working, you know, your 80 hours a week and you're too tired to really do anything. And so mm-hmm. just making sure that you try to get your sleep can help too. Yeah. Um, you know, but certainly I think one of the things is talking with colleagues and talking through things. Um, who have similar situations and experiences really is helpful. Um, the amount of time I've spent talking just with, with, you know, colleagues kind of talking through things can be super helpful too. So I, I think generally not isolating yourself, um, you know, and keeping, you know, avenues open to talking and keeping friendships open is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I was wondering too, I guess, kind of along with that, if, if there's ever like, um, I guess say that you, you prescribe something to a patient or gave some advice or something where, I don't know, maybe you weren't, I don't know, like, do you ever kind of second guess yourself later? And like, what, like, it seems like it would be, it would be like an aspect of stress would be dealing with like actual people's health and how that that could you know or like potentially affect that it it seems like that would be kind of tough to deal with 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I've definitely had a few of those where um, you can second guess yourself um, and be like, am I doing, am I actually doing the right thing for the patient? Because sometimes, you know, not, not every decision you make obviously is life and death, but then some of them are. Um, especially in the more acute situations, like in the emergency room, mm-hmm. um, there really are life and death um, kind of answers that you have to have. Um, and so, you know, those those are the tough ones. Um, and I think, you know, doctors obviously are human. And so people do make mistakes and hopefully we keep those to a minimum. Um, but no, that that's that's really hard. Um, and a lot of it comes with experience. And if you don't know something, you know, pick up the phone and call mm-hmm. sort of thing and just get somebody else to weigh in. And so I think part of that comes with experience, too, is if you if you feel like I'm second guessing myself and and I'm just not sure what to do, pick you just pick up the phone and call. Um, it's better to, you know, get someone else's second opinion on board than, you know, look at it later and be like, you know, I hope I did the right thing for the patient. Yeah, You know, because, you know, I think most people that go into medicine do it because they really want to help people. And so you don't want to go home at night and worry about, did I order the right test? Or maybe it's because I didn't order a test or is it the right medicine or not the right medicine? Yeah. So it sounds like, or you've mentioned a few times, um, asking a colleague or phoning someone up. So it sounds like um, a very important part for you, at least at this stage, is having, um, I guess, mentors or, or colleagues that you can kind of bounce stuff off of. And, you know, it's more yeah. like you're you're with a group and not just operating on your own. Yeah. No, I, I mean, the doctor that I was working with the last couple of weeks has been in practice for 25 years. And and even even with him, he would still, you know, run things by his his colleague in the same office of, Hey, this is what I'm doing. What do you think about that? Um, and then be like, yeah, that's what I would do. Or I would tweak it a little bit this way. Um, but it, I, I don't think as long as you're going to be in practice that you're ever going to have a period where you're going to say, um, that you never need to talk to anybody about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I medicine hope- is just too, di- too diverse and, and too complicated um, for one person to know everything. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask if you have any like crazy or interesting stories, either from your studies or residency that, excuse me, that you'd be willing to share. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's a lot of the stories. Um, you know, there's the crazy things you see in the emergency room. Um, I remember, when I was working in the ER a couple of years ago, I think it was New Year's Eve, um, a guy who was holding like a Roman candle in his hand and then was a little bit um, intoxicated per se and forgot to let it go. And it literally just flayed his hand open. Um, and so you see kind of the traumatic kind of side of things like that, wow. um, which is interesting. It's not all as good, obviously. Um you know, and then there's kind of the funny things that that patients come in and say. Um, one of them being is I had a patient a while back that I, I guess she had tested positive for a sexually transmitted infection, oh, like a several months ago, and she hadn't got it treated. And um, she came in to see me, and she said, "I just I think I've had this too long." Um, 
<laughs> and we all found that you know rather amusing as you know most of us would say one day is too long you know but you've had yours for several months and i think that's probably too long yeah um no and then there's you know there's the other things you know that you that, that patients say and that sort of thing but no um rarely a dull moment yeah yeah i can can definitely see that um have you perfected the doctor's classic illegible handwriting yet for writing prescriptions? So thank goodness, no. <laughs> um, I, I do. It does feel like I have to sign a lot of forms, but um, we don't write prescriptions by hand anymore. Um, everything's electronic, um, so it's eliminated a lot of that. So I actually have fairly legible handwriting still, which is a good thing. Excellent, nice. That's kind of a thing of the past. That uh, that stereotype, yeah. right? Yeah. Thank goodness it is, yeah. That <laughs> handwriting was atrocious. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, too, about um, advice. And maybe I'll start with, like, uh, what advice would you give someone who is, like, also thinking about um, becoming a doctor? What, what would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely do it again if I had if I had the um, if I had to do stuff over. Um, you know, I, I guess the advice that I would give is is that this is going to be your life, and it's going to involve a, a great majority of your time of your life. It's going to take you away from your family and your friends, um, but you're also going to gain experiences and meet people and go places that you would have never had the opportunity to do otherwise. Um, you know, and it really is, it's more of a lifestyle than it is just a job. You can't just go to work and then come home and forget about things um, because there'll always be more things to read about. You would be thinking about patients that you saw, you know, and, and learning how to help people. And you're going to have to have a, a lot of caring to listen to people, you know, talk about their complaints and, and then, um, you know, not judge them, you know based on your preconceived notions of what they should have done or shouldn't have should or shouldn't have done. And then, and then kind of come up with a partnership to help treat them. Um, so I guess generally think about it as a lifestyle. And if this is the kind of lifestyle you want, then, um, and you want to help people, then I think it's a great, great job. We, we definitely need more, you know, caring, caring doctors in the world. And I think they can make a lot of difference to people who are really hurting. So, um, you know, I, I'd say go for it, um, but just expect that it's going to be a lifestyle and not just a job. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if I actually said this yet, but I, I really do um, admire doctors for what they do and also for the amount of sacrifice just in the, the studies and, you know, the hours um, spent studying and practicing. Um, so I guess congratulations and and thank you for what you do to to help people i find it um very admirable um well thanks and i was i was wondering too is there anything that you would say to um patients or, or people who aren't doctors is there anything they can do to make life easier for doctors when they when they have to go see a doctor or just i guess general yeah general advice for patients so there, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is um, if you are not at all invested in your own health, it's really hard for someone else to help you. 
Um, and I know to most people that probably sounds like, well, of course I am, but there's also, there's always these, well, not always, but there's some patients that, that say, well, you're the doctor, you know what I'm taking and I don't pay any attention to anything. Um, you at least have to have some vested interest in your own health. Um, because in the end you're the patient and I'm not, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm only here to help you and I can only help you as much as you want to be helped. Um, so that's part of it. And as far as advice is when you go see the doctor, um, only have, only have as many complaints as you think they can deal with in one visit. (laughs) Um, so you get, (laughs) so you get satisfactory care. So, I mean, if you think about it, if you have one problem, um, the doctor will be able to focus all their attention kind of on the one problem and probably get a very good kind of plan for that. But if you come with seven different problems, you know, they still have patients scheduled, you know, every 20, 30 minutes. And so we might be able to address them all, but how adequately might you be able to address them versus scheduling another visit kind of, yeah. at this, you know, I, kind I of down I've, the road. I think I've seen signs up in doctor's offices saying like, only one thing per visit or, or maybe like a maximum of two things per, <laughs> per visit or something. Yeah, so. it's a, it, we'd love to address them all for you, but, but you know, things take time and we can only talk so fast, um, you know, and we, we want to do the best job we can. And so piling things, you know, kind of more on the plate than, than probably a couple of complaints makes it hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering too, just from from your experience and and studies and education and everything, do you have any just like, I guess, general health tips or or just um, basic advice to the general human for how to, how to stay healthy? Yeah. So, so like I said before, I do a lot of preventative care. So that's what I'm really passionate about and preventing disease. So you might've heard the term before, but I think it's really true that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, Mm -hmm. And really my job is to prevent things before they even start. So um, just a really quick rundown is to be healthy, you need to eat healthy. And so that is eating three, generally three meals a day. Now there's exceptions to all of this, of course, but three healthy meals a day. No one, McDonald's never sneaks into anybody's mouth by accident. Um, we're all totally in control of what goes into our mouth, but eating, eating, eating is, is, and and diet is by far the biggest part of being healthy. Um, and so eating healthy, um, generally plant-based diets are better for people, um, and staying away from a consumption of a lot of, a lot of meat and especially red meats, um, have, have just shown one, you know, just amazing reductions in the amount of heart disease in folks, um, you know, which no one wants to have a heart attack, obviously. So, mm-hmm. you know, diet is key. And then, and then, you know, I don't know, maybe people in Canada exercise more, um, but people in America um, don't. And let's just, <laughs> let's just be honest. But, but the studies show that if you do 10 to 15 minutes of aerobic exercise a day, um, your cholesterol is better, your blood pressure is better, you're healthier, your weight's better. And you know what, mental wise, your, your mood's better. Mm-hmm. And so those are all simple things that every single person can do regardless of who you are. But it's just amazing at the, at the amount of people that don't do that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, um, over 
the last uh, seven or eight years, whatever, since you started, um, have you changed like your diet significantly or um, exercising habits and stuff? So the exercise one is still hard for me. So I have a membership to the gym and I go when I can. Um, but there, there's days. So like this past Monday I, I worked and then I was, I was at the hospital until midnight and I drove home and I had to be back in at seven. And I, you know, the next day I was just too tired. I'm like, I'm too tired to go to the gym, mm-hmm. you know, but the days that I have time, I do, mm-hmm. even though I, I hate running, I still, I still do it just because I know it's good for me. Um, you know, and I, I really do try to practice what I preach, you know, at least to my patients about, about getting aerobic activity, um, I'd much rather play like a sport or something like that to get it in, but sometimes it's just hard to find people to do that with. So no, I go on a run every now and then. Um, I was thinking Thanksgiving's coming up this next Thursday. So I was thinking of running in a 5k turkey trot. Um, so we'll see, <laughs> I'll see if that happens or not. Um, nice. if I do, my time is not going to be good. Um, nice. so I, I wish I'd be in the area. I, I'd do it with you. I'd do yeah, the turkey you, trot with you. You'd probably lap me if it was on a track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, yeah. Also, I was going to mention. I hear I hear pickleball is great for exercise if you don't. You like know, running. It, it really is. Yeah, we haven't done any indoor pickleball though, so it's really just a kind of a summer activity for us, oh, yeah. kind of at this point. But yeah, that's true. Do you run even in the winter? Uh, no, I generally don't run in the winter. I'll I'll still run it's when it's like 30 degrees outside. But once it gets down to like, I don't know, 20 Fahrenheit or something, I kind of call it quits after that. Yeah. I might r- run on the treadmill at the gym or something, but. Yeah, makes sense. But yeah, it's good good to hear that you practice what you preach. Yeah. And, and, and actually, we I have actually been a lot more careful with what I eat um, as well. Um we make a pretty concerted effort to eat a lot of vegetables and salads. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the meats that we eat, um, really don't eat a lot of red meat. We do every now and then, especially like hamburgers, that sort of stuff. But like, you know, fish, um, you know, lean meats like chicken and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. A lot of the studies just, you know, say a lot better, but you know, Americans and just in general, just eat way too much meat. Um, we eat almost with every single meal. Um, and, you know, a lot of the studies just show that that's not the best, you know, kind of the best diet that, that a person can have. Um, and especially it's not good for weight loss, which a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for, for sharing those um, tips and advice. Uh, was, was there anything else just in general that uh, we didn't cover that you wanted to, to add before we wrap up here? Yeah, just one of the other things, I guess going, not to harp on the Google thing, but there's a lot of people, you know, on the internet that will, you know, claim things um, that that's a cure for something, um, you know, is is always going to help or it's like a miracle cure or something like that. And I think you see a lot of that, especially around uh, the COVID-19 virus um, that goes around. Um I, I guess I remain extremely skeptical of most of those things, and for a couple of reasons. Most of the time, the, the so-called doctors that promote those things, um, if you really kind of look into who they are and what they do, um, generally don't treat adult patients or they're in specialty areas that are completely outside of the realm that they should even be practicing in. 
Um, and then they, they have no good studies to actually back up most of the claims um, that they have. Um, you know, so I guess I always look kind of at where, what's the bottom line and where's the money com coming from. Um, and you can kind of follow the money trail with some of these people and they're always selling something um, that's a little bit, seems exorbitantly expensive. Um, and so I, I guess just a word of caution, just, just be careful, you know, if you're kind of looking online and who's trying to sell what, um, you know, so because... Maybe I'm Maybe I'm in the wrong area or on the wrong places online, but are, are these like treatments for COVID-19 or, or cures or like um, alternatives to getting vaccinated or? or yeah, so, so some of both. So, yeah, so like, you know, Ivermectin, well, originally hydroxychloroquine was a big one um, and mm, that's really right. fallen out of favor. Um, and I don't know anybody that's actually ever used that. Um, but again, there's, you know, not that it's maybe that dangerous of a medicine, um, but there's no studies that show that it's ever helped or even been helpful compared to like a placebo, um, basically taking a sugar pill in, in you know, in contrast mm. to it, you know, and so now you see the same thing with ivermectin. I know there's people that just, you know, that swear that ivermectin works, um, you know, but if you look at the studies, um, there's some studies that have straight up falsified information. They acknowledge that they did so just to make the study look good. Um, and again, not that it's that harmful of a medicine, but again, it, it doesn't do what they promise, um, which is cure yeah. or prevent. Um, you, you know, you could take, you, you could take a tablet of, of, you know, whatever and you do the exact same thing. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I guess when it actually comes down to it, you know, most physicians don't get paid. You know, whether you do something or whether you don't do something, but again, establishing a relationship with someone who knows you um, will probably be able to give you some more unbiased information about kind of, you know, legitimate treatments for things. Um, mm -hmm. But if I am going to go there, you know, the COVID vaccine, um, you know, has been, you know, I, get, I know there's a lot of controversy around it, but that's really only controversy in the political world. Um, there's really no controversy in the medical field. There's a few folks that, you know, will say otherwise, but 99 plus percent of doctors agree that it's safe and it's effective. It doesn't always stop COVID infections, um, but it keeps people generally out of the hospital and it keeps people from dying, which is the biggest thing. Um, mm -hmm. I think the worst thing, you know, for other physicians seeing is especially primary care doctors like myself, then when we can prevent people from dying and yet people still die. I think that just frustrates us, you know, when we could have prevented something that, that they didn't choose to prevent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for, um, kind of clarifying that and yeah, giving us, um, your take on, on vaccines as well. And yeah, for everything, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed our conversation and everything you, you shared. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and I, I guess I, I wish you all the best too in, uh, your future, um, I guess in June with graduation and, and what happens next from there. So wish, wish you all the best. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Thank you everyone for listening and thank you, Ricky, for guest hosting this podcast. And thank you especially to 
Christopher for coming onto the podcast, sharing a little bit about your experience and what your training's been like and what you're doing in your work now, and also for sharing from your expertise and what you've learned so far on your journey. I really appreciated what he had to share about the collaboration that goes on within the medical field, medical professionals, and I really appreciate the work that doctors, nurses, specialists, all different types of medical professionals do to take care of us. It is something that is very much needed and very much appreciated as well. I also was glad to hear his take on what the medical community thinks about vaccines and um, his willingness to share on that as well. If you'd like to know more about the podcast or this episode specifically, you can check out the website, everydayexpertise.ca. If you want to contact me for any reason, give me your feedback on the podcast. Email me at contact at everydayexpertise.ca. That's all for now. Join me again next time to learn from the expertise of everyday people.